0: good morning once again there's probably a lesson in that video for all of us regardless of our age i think there's always something that we can take away from that i pray that this morning as well as we uh, come to god's word there will be something that we can take away from this and uh, i would invite you now to bow with me and let's pray as we prepare to enter god's word Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that there is always something new that we can learn from it. Even from passages and concepts that we think we've heard many times before that we've mastered, there is always something new, a new angle, a new wrinkle that we haven't seen before, and especially how it applies to our lives. And so we pray, Father, that that would happen once again this morning, that your Holy Spirit would simply calm our minds, uh, set aside those thoughts, Just for these next few moments, uh, all those thoughts that we've had racing through our minds through the week, the things we need to get done, the family vacations that need to be planned, uh, the things we're doing after church this afternoon, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to set those things aside and to now hear from you. And so we just pray, Father, that you would center our thoughts on what you would want for each one of us to receive here today. We pray that you would bless your word, and I pray that you would help uh, me, Lord, to speak these words as you would have me to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are continuing our series in Peter, 1st Peter, Living Hope for a Dying World, and today we are in Part 4. I'd like to begin by sharing with you a story. For many people, buckling up your seatbelt can be a hassle, and some people don't even want to be bothered to buckle up their seatbelts at all, even when the law requires them to do it, even uh, as it is here in Manitoba. Now, in the truth is stranger than fiction category, According to the Associated Press, there was a New Zealander named Ivan Zagedin who took this whole not wanting to wear his seatbelt to an extreme. You see, the police had ticketed him 32 consecutive times for not wearing his seatbelt over the course of five years. 32 tickets. That's going to add up a little bit in the pocketbook. Now, it seems that he didn't just do this because he was too lazy to buckle up his seatbelt. He did this because... He was making a point. He refused to follow this law. He believed this law to be unjust, and he thought it was too much of a hassle for him to follow this law, so he refused to buckle up and tallied up these 32 seatbelt tickets. And instead of obeying this law, he finally decided that the time had come to rely on deception. So what he did, Ivan made a fake seatbelt that would hang over his shoulder and make it appear that he was wearing a seatbelt even, in fact, when he was not. And so this trick worked for quite a while. No more tickets. But then Ivan was in a traffic accident. He was in a head-on collision with another vehicle, thrown violently forward onto the steering wheel and killed. And following the investigation, the coroner gave this report. Though his car was fitted with working seatbelts, an extra belt with a long strap had been knotted above the seatbelt on the driver's side, providing a belt to simply sit over the driver's shoulder. He then asserted that if Ivan had indeed been wearing his real seatbelt, he likely would have survived the accident with only minor injuries. Now, as we think of a story like that, Ivan Segedin refusing to submit to his government's law regarding seatbelts without taking into consideration that this law was actually put in place for his good and for his protection. And as we come to our passage today in 1 Peter, this word submit is the key to understanding this entire section in 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. I would invite you to To turn there with me this morning, open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to be jumping around in this passage looking at a couple of different verses. The first verse I'd like to draw your attention to is in verse 13 as we look at the key word submit that Paul or that Peter uses in this passage. First in verse 13 he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Second in verse 18 he uses the word again. He says slaves submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And then thirdly in verse or pardon me chapter 3 verse 1 he says wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands. Peter also adds one more instruction to submit later on in chapter 5 in verse 5 where he says young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older than you. Now, for our study this morning, we are going to look primarily at the first two commands and devote next Sunday entirely to Peter's instruction to husbands and wives because that category deserves a sermon all on its own. Now, in the first instance where he says to submit to all government authorities that are above you, I believe the question needs to be asked what does it mean to submit? We all hear that word and we think we know what it means, but I think we need to have a proper grounding on what this word means within the biblical context before we can really understand what Peter is saying. And before I do that, I have a confession to make. You see, one of the reasons that I periodically do a sermon series working through an entire book is because it forces me to preach on topics that are not always easy to deal with, that I may otherwise avoid. And so would it surprise you that submission is one of those topics? And so today, lucky me and lucky you, we are working through Peter, and this is a huge topic within his writings that we are confronted by today. And so we are going to dive right into this. What does Peter mean by this this word submit, and what does biblical submission really mean? Now, first of all, we need to just address the elephant in the room. All of us have already heard the word submit multiple times this morning, and wherever you're coming from, the elephant in the room is, this is not a good word. You know, it, it, may, it may be like six letters long, but it may as well be a four-letter word. It is not, it's not a good word in our culture today. You know, in our culture today, they hear submission, and it's about as popular as the sludge in Clarny Lake. Uh, About as popular as kosher growing in your wheat or the hordes of mosquitoes that have been assaulting us daily. This is the realm that submission falls in. And I would suggest that most likely, like mosquitoes, submission irritates us just a little bit. Submission is something that we're forced to put up with, forced to do from time to time, but something that if we could just get rid of it altogether, we probably would. And now I know that there are a lot of Christians even who would like to throw out the biblical teaching on submission altogether, labeling it as old-fashioned, out-of-date, and irrelevant for us today. But I believe that to do so would be extremely dangerous. It would be a lot like Ivan refusing to wear his seatbelt, not realizing that the minor inconvenience and irritation of putting on his seatbelt was nothing in comparison to what it could have saved him from, had he worn it, had he submitted to the law of his land. For you see, our ability to submit to others depends on whether or not we can submit to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Master of our lives. You see, if you have trouble submitting to authority, trouble submitting to the laws of the land, trouble submitting to your employer, or trouble submitting to your spouse, then the chances are very good that it's because you're having trouble first submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ and giving him full authority over your life. Now maybe you've given Jesus a 49% stake on your life, but you've kept that other 51% and the controlling share to veto anything that he tells you to do that you don't want to. And so here we see that submission to Christ is the foundation upon which all other biblical submission needs to be understood. Now this word from the original Greek is very closely related to the word humility, humilitas. And now in order to come to Jesus, we know that we need to humble ourselves before him. We need to humble ourselves to say, I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. That requires humility. And secondly, very closely related to humility, that requires submission, We then submit to his authority. We submit to his will over our lives. I want you to listen to Jesus' invitation from Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, we're familiar with this passage, but what you may not be as familiar with is the metaphor of taking Jesus' yoke upon you, what that that means, what that all entails. You see, the symbol of taking someone's yoke upon you means you are taking their authority upon you. You are yoked under their direction. And so if you are yoked with Jesus, that means he is now controlling your life. Now, he qualifies that by saying... That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Your life will be better if you take his yoke upon you. But you are still submitting to his authority. And so this is what it means. Taking Jesus' yoke upon you is a metaphor for submitting to his authority and complete control over every aspect of your life. But I want you to first notice that once we submit to him, he rejuvenates our souls with rest. And so if you're wrestling your own way through life, If you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling on the verge of giving up, submit to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. And he says your life will become not only better, your souls will find rest. And not only for the day, but for all of eternity. This is the promise for all those who take Jesus' yoke upon you. And when you do that, I I just tell you from personal experience, when you take Jesus' yoke upon you, When you submit yourself completely to His control and you surrender everything to Him, I can tell you that you will be amazed by the inner peace that will accompany within your soul. Even when your life is maybe going crazy around you, the inner peace you can experience, even in crazy circumstances, is phenomenal. I am constantly amazed at the ability that God gives to find rest and inner peace in the midst of sometimes what appears to be chaos. And this is what Jesus promises. But the first requirement is that we must submit. And now that requires giving up our will. That requires surrendering our control over our own lives. And that's very difficult for the vast majority of people to do. But now secondly, I want you to notice that Jesus, even though he gives an open invitation that anyone can respond to, anyone, listen, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest for your souls, I want you to notice that he will not force his yoke upon anyone. Jesus will not force anyone to make him the Lord of their lives. He extends an open invitation, but he will not force it upon you. Even though he knows that if you would take your, his yoke upon you, he knows that it would be for your ultimate good. He knows that it would give rest to your souls. He knows that it would give you rest For all of eternity, but even then, he will not violate your free will and force it upon you. He leaves the choice up to you. He does not force us to submit to him, he simply invites us to. And this leads us to our key principle that we need to remember about biblical submission submission is given, not taken. Submission is given. Not taken. You see, when we're talking about submission within the Christian and biblical framework to understand it, this is not something that anyone else comes along and demands from another. It is something that the Christian freely gives. It is a gift. It is not something that is taken by force. It is something that is freely and willingly given. Now, I remember when we were discussing this very topic in our marriage and family class at Bible College... And uh, of course, this just opened up a whole can of worms and the the debate in the classroom was interesting. And of course, we had a few self-declared feminists in the class, so it didn't take very long for a heated debate to break out. And shortly thereafter, it became a running joke within some of our class that if we asked someone to do something for us, rather than saying, please, we would just say, submit. (laughs) Now, as you can imagine, This was very tongue-in-cheek, and there was only a certain few who got the sense of humor behind it. And so, well, we were doing this for a little while, and it was a bit of a running joke. And so I remember jokingly trying this with Leanne, once. (laughs) And I say once because you know that saying about how something goes over like a lead balloon, (laughs) this would fall into that category. And so... One of the things that I learned out of this, and of course the reason for her reaction, was not because she wasn't willing to submit to me. It was because I had demanded it. Even if it was only in jest, there is a completely different attitude and a completely different feeling that accompanies submitting to someone willingly versus submitting to someone because you are forced to. Now, if you are doing it because you desire this out of your heart, that you are willing to do this, it is entirely different than when someone says, you must submit to me. Remember that within the biblical framework, biblical submission is given, not forced. Which leads us to our second question. Why should we submit? In chapter 2 and verse 13 of our passage, Peter gives the reason for why we should submit to others in authority. I want you to listen to this. He says... Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Then in verse 15 he says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, did you notice the first line in verse 13? He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It is for the Lord's sake that we submit to others accepting that His will God's will for our lives is greater than our own. And this means that we are sacrificing our own self-interests, even our personal rights and even freedoms for the sake of God's interests and the ultimate good of others. Now, if this sounds difficult to you, that's because it is. This is one of the more difficult things to accept of all of the teachings in scripture, is to surrender our own rights Even when we have been wronged, to say, I am going to lay aside my own right to be vindicated and submit to another. Now, inevitably, to this, someone will ask the question, does that mean we're supposed to be doormats and just let people walk all over us? And to to this natural objection, Peter gives a response. In verses 21 to 23, he points us to the example of Jesus. Jesus let those people just walk all over him. And for us Canadians who live under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, we would say that he should have demanded his rights. He should have demanded a defense attorney and he should have demanded a fair trial in the light of day because they were breaking the law by having a trial after dark and everything was on the down low. This wasn't right. He should have demanded that his rights be honored. And yet he didn't. He did not open his mouth. He did not utter one threat. Why? Peter gives the reason. Because Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, Jesus was perfectly submitted to the will of his heavenly Father. And so, because of his submission to his Father's will, he suffered in silence, trusting that he was fulfilling the perfect will of his Father for the ultimate good of all mankind. And in case you're not sure if this applies to us as Christians as well, Peter makes it crystal clear. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It doesn't get more pointed than that, does it? Does it get any more blunt? He set an example for us that we should follow in his steps. We submit because Jesus did. And this command, let me tell you, is not for the faint of heart. This is not for people who lack courage or strength. In fact, to follow this command requires tremendous courage and strength. Because what more courageous act has there been in the history of the world than what Jesus did? By going to the cross, even though not one word of profanity had ever left his mouth, not one sin had ever happened from his hand or a thought in his mind his entire life, And all of this is being done to him, and he does not utter one word of defense. What more courageous act in all of history is there than that? Following in Jesus' steps is not for the faint of heart. No, it is for the courageous. And Peter knew firsthand what he was talking about. You see, Peter wrote this letter only a year or two before the great persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero began in 64 AD. And during Nero's reign... There was a fire that destroyed part of the city of Rome. And there was this rumor that started that Nero had in fact started the fire for whatever reason. And this rumor gained so much traction and it was so widely accepted by the people that Nero finally had to find someone else to pin the blame upon. And so, what better target than the Christians? Those who wouldn't stand up for themselves or utter words in their own defense, and so he accused the Christians of arson and then began the most barbaric campaign of persecution against them that the world has ever seen. There is one story of Nero that demonstrates just how evil he truly was. Halfway through his reign, Nero got the idea that he was a great chariot racer. And so he built his own personal chariot track and he raced all day. And soon he decided that he would like to be able to race at night as well. But how could he light the track properly? And so Nero came up with a very sick plan. During the day, he would get his soldiers to go into the city and find Christians. They would then cover these Christians in pitch and tar, tie them to poles around Nero's track. And as the sun set, these Christians were set on fire and became human torches, lighting his games. Under these circumstances, the command to follow in Jesus' steps takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? This is not for someone who's, who's cowardly, for someone who's afraid of counting the cost. No, these are the circumstances that the Christians who Peter was writing to were living under the threat of. And we know that Peter himself was martyred by crucifixion at the hands of Nero only a few short, few short years after writing this letter in 67 A.D., Church tradition states that Peter did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. And so he requested that they crucify him upside down. And so they did, and Peter died. But I would tell you that Peter and all of these other Christians did not die in vain. They did not die in vain. They did not die for nothing, for they died like Jesus. They died submitting to God's will and trusting themselves to him who will judge all things justly in the end. Even if they did not receive justice in this life, they entrusted themselves to them, to him, who would give them justice in the end. And so finally, the question is then asked by Peter, to whom should we submit? To whom? And as we have already noted, we submit first to the will of God. We submit to Jesus as our Lord and Master, and then he points out the practical aspects of that submission in the world around us. He first points out that we submit to our government. This means the civic authorities and laws that are in place in our country to govern it, we are to abide by. And even though we are only sojourners in this land, we are temporary residents, and we know that our true citizenship is in heaven, we are to still accept the authority of our government here on earth. And in verse 14, Peter says that governments are placed by God to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. Now, Peter is, of course, speaking in general terms of what governments are intended to do and supposed to do. But, of course, there are exceptions, as the emperor Nero demonstrated. Now, in this case, it's obvious that Peter was not saying that Christians should compromise their beliefs in order to submit to an evil government or to an evil law. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when Peter and the other apostles were told by the Jewish leaders to stop preaching the gospel, the reply was, We ought to obey God rather than men. And so, when it comes to the matters of Christian faith and personal conviction, we must always submit first to God before anyone else. And if that requires breaking the laws of our land, then so be it. However, In all other matters, God's will is that we submit to our government and live good lives as a testimony to the watching world around us. And yes, yes, that includes obeying those petty, annoying little laws that we don't care for. Like paying our income tax and any other taxes that get thrown our way. Yes, we have to pay those. And we should pay those. We shouldn't be looking for ways to dodge paying our taxes. God says, obey our government authorities. Remember, Jesus said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so we pay our taxes. And yes, and I'm preaching to myself here, that includes following traffic laws, like putting on our seatbelts and those little numbers on the side of the road aren't suggestions, those are laws. Slow down according to that speed limit. And if you get caught or otherwise, these things the government will punish us for. However, as Christians, our our motivation should not be fear of punishment. It should be out of submission to God that we obey the laws of our land. Now, this is the first and obvious category that Peter addresses as government. He then says we should submit to our employers. Here, Peter is talking specifically to household slaves. Now, of course, we don't have slavery in our society, or at least in Canada today the way that they did in the Roman Empire of Peter's day. However, there are other parts in the world where slavery still happens. But within the context of the Roman world, household slaves were essentially the property of their masters. So submission to them was not a matter of choice. They couldn't just say, well, I don't like how you're treating me. I don't like the food you're giving me, I'm going to go somewhere else. That wasn't a choice for them. They simply had to stay with their master. And so within this context, of course, if they had a good master, well, then it would be easy for the slave to submit to a gentle, kind, and fair master. But Peter goes beyond that and encourages them to be loyal and hard workers, even in the face of unjust treatment from unfair or even cruel masters. Now, the closest equivalent we have today to this relationship is the employer and employee relationship. However, I must note that a big difference today is that we have many more rights than the slaves whom Peter was addressing. In that time, if a slave displeased his master for any reason, the master could beat that slave. And many times they were beaten wrongfully. And so, what does Peter say about this? Is a servant to be excused from submitting if this happens? No, Peter says to submit regardless of how you are treated. And in verse 19, he says that it is commendable when a servant endures wrongful suffering. Now, this word commendable means pleasing to God. And sometimes, we may suffer wrongfully in our work or in our job. And in this instance, Peter would say to us, are we to go back somehow and get revenge upon our boss? He would say, no, we are to endure it, and as we do so, this is pleasing to God. However, sometimes when we have done something wrong and we bring suffering upon ourselves, for example, if a person is caught stealing from his boss and is fired, well, that suffering is, of course, not pleasing to God because it is not suffering for the sake of doing right or good. It is suffering because you did something wrong. This isn't pleasing to God. And so, of course, he makes the distinction. Now, why should we endure unjust suffering? Well, Peter's pointing to the fact that if we take our eyes off of our own circumstances and take a look at the big picture, we may see the profit in our suffering. Because what better way to exemplify Christ, to follow in his steps, to our fellow employees, and even to our boss, than by submitting to the authority of them even when they may be in the wrong. And of course, when we do so, we are following in Jesus' steps. And what more powerful example is there to the watching world than we live such good lives that even though they may not believe what we believe, they cannot help but give glory to God because of the manner in which we live. And so finally, Peter points to we must also submit to one another. In verse 17, he writes, "...show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers." Fear God and honor the King. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every Christian should be submissive to other Christians. This means giving respect, expressing appreciation, and demonstrating love in tangible actions to each other. It also means the willingness to not stubbornly just stick to your own viewpoint but to truly consider the viewpoint of the other as well. And so this means peacefully and respectfully working through differences for the sake of Christ, that we submit to one another as we submit to Christ. A story is told that during the Great Reformation of the 16th century, Martin Luther and Huldrich Zwingli found themselves at odds with each other in their concern for the movement that they were both so instrumental in leading. Early one morning, Zwingli walked out on the Swiss Alps and he was confronted by a soul-stirring sight. High above him, on the side of a sheer cliff, he saw two mountain goats making their way along a narrow pathway, but they were going in opposite directions. One was ascending and the other was descending. However, he noted that the pathway was so narrow that there was no possible way for these two goats to pass by each other. And Zwingli watched to see what would happen. When the two mountain goats came into full view of each other, they both backed up as though ready to charge at each other head head on, and Zwingli anticipated that this was in fact what was going to happen. But instead, the most remarkable thing occurred. The goat that was lower on the trail and on his way up laid down on the path, while the goat above him walked over his back and continued along the trail. Then the first goat that had laid down and let the other goat walk over his back got back up and continued on his way up the mountain path. What had appeared at first to be an impasse, no possible way around each other, was resolved quickly and easily because one of the goats was willing to lie down. And to Zwingli, this meant that in order to climb higher, we must be willing to humble ourselves ourselves to lie down before others. Just as Christ humbled himself, allowing men to walk over his back and into his Father's kingdom of light. And so too, my fellow brothers and sisters, we must be willing to humble ourselves before each other. We must be willing to say, I will allow you to walk over my back rather than to come at odds over something. We do this out of reverence for Christ. For He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so may we submit to God's will. May we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. May we also submit to the government of our land, to our employers, and to each other, knowing that by doing so, we are pleasing God and being a positive testimony of his love and goodness to everyone else around us. And I would suggest, my friends, that as we practice this and put this into practice with one another, we may at first have that inner fear of saying, well, I'm going to have other people just running roughshod over me if this is the approach I take to life. But within the family of believers, my friends, when we truly practice this type of love Between the brotherhood, I would suggest that over time, we will instead both be saying, No, after you. I will lie down. I insist. You must come over. And the more we do this, the more we live in consideration of one another, the more we will desire to be considerate towards others. We won't be so eager to just look to run over someone else's back, but instead we will say, Hey, you can go over mine. I am willing to humble myself in this situation. And I believe that as we do this, this will bring about unity within the church. This brings about unity, oh my friends, we're not even getting to this topic yet, but within a marriage relationship. When we show this type of consideration and respect towards each other as husband and wife, it is incredible what comes about as a result. We're going to be looking at that next week. And I also believe that when we live this in a practical way within a faith community, This makes such an impression on people outside who are so used to the opposite. They are so used to having everything forced that you don't submit unless you absolutely have to. Someone's got your arm twisted behind your back and finally you say, Uncle. But when we live in a completely different manner, as Jesus did, this is impressive. This draws people's attention. And when we live such good lives, they will give glory to God one day. And so we pray that that day would be sooner rather than later. And may God use the witness of this church community as we learn to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on behalf of your people in this church, we submit to you. We submit to your will for our lives. And Lord, we surrender our own. We surrender our own ambitions we surrender our own rights. We surrender, Lord, even our desire for revenge or vindication. And we give ourselves wholly to you, the one who judges justly, for we know, Lord, that in the end you will make all things right, that you will judge fairly, much more than we could ever imagine. And so, Father, we surrender our wills to you, knowing that your yoke when we take it upon us willingly, Lord, it is easy and it is light. You will give us that inner peace and rest for our souls that we so desperately need. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who is just in need of rest, who is in need of that inner peace, that, Lord, that they could find it by coming to you and saying, Jesus, have, have your way. Have complete control of my life. And, Father, help me to submit to others around me, even as you submitted to your Father's will. And to the cross, and so, Father, whatever that cross is that we have to bear in our lives, as a church or personally, I pray, Lord, that we would that we would submit to it willingly, knowing that you will give us the strength, and that, Father, when we do so, you will provide the testimony to a watching world who so desperately needs that eternal rest as well. And so, we pray, Father, that we would be a, a church family that would be characterized, Lord, by this type of willing submission and humility as we live together in this brotherhood of believers. We pray, Lord, that you would build this church up in unity and in love and consideration for each other. Thank you, Lord, for each one who is a part of this church family, and we pray, Lord, that many more will be added as they come to know you as their Lord and Savior as well. Bless each one as we go into our day today, and we pray, Father, that you would add your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.